0: Things are cool. It's always cool to accumulate stuff. You may be saying no, but if I look <clears throat> underneath your trees, I might think that you're joking. Because things are just kind of where it's at, especially this season. I mean, everyone's talking about stuff. <clears throat> Even if you're one of those just like, oh, we only give our kids three, kids, kids three gifts because there's three wise men. If that's like what you do or whatever else, that's fine. Um... But stuff kind of becomes a motivating factor in our lives during this season. Or maybe we could just say we hide the fact that it's a motivating factor all the time and just admit it and ask for it more regularly. We could also say that's not the case. I know we want to be super holy, but no, 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 that's not me. But like most people that I know like things. They like things. They like cool houses and neat gadgets and having stuff and cars that are really awesome. Like, no one shows off their jalopy, right? Like, hey, come check out this 1983 broken-down Buick I have. Like, this is awesome. Come on. Like, no one does that. You want everyone to see the new shiny one, though, right? Like, come see this that we got. Your car's 15 years old. You're not like, check it out. You're not bringing people over to your house to show them the renovation you didn't get done. Hey, come over and let's talk about what I will do with the place one day. No, I don't want to do that. You show me the pictures after you're done. I want to see the stuff you did to it. That's what we do. I mean, we, we love to make our lives more comfortable. We love to make other people's lives more comfortable. We love stuff. We love talking about how much people make. We love thinking about how much we would make if we did what they did. You know, you're like, people are handing out contracts to professional athletes. I'm like, you're making $47 million this year? That's crazy. Kinda awesome too. Wait, no, it's not. Bad. It's bad. Right? Like that's what we do. No, it's always bad. If it's as long as it's you, if it's me, it's good. But if it's you, it's bad. And so I think like, as we enter into this season, I know I am. I am reading a passage and preaching a sermon that is totally uphill, meaning this is not how we approach life, and we would be foolish to think that this is how we approach life because it's interesting how even often for the believer in our midst, our trajectory of life generally mirrors the trajectory of people who don't know the Lord. Right? Like as our, as our life grows, our income grows, our house grows, our possessions grow, our vacations grow. Like, like We just kind of trend in the same direction, often taking on the same debts to buy the same things, to go on the same kinds of vacations, to live in the same kinds of ways. We really, that's what we do. We enjoy that. We look for that, and here's the other part that's really dangerous for our hearts, and you know this is true, is that no one's really going to get too mad at us if we do it. Like, we've mastered the art of kind of living above confrontational, worldly. Like, you know, if I'm way up here, you guys are like, Hans, you're being crazy, right? Like, no one needs to be preaching with, a, uh, you know, lots of diamond rings on. Like I get that. Well, they're all in the car. I take them off just for the preaching. So we know how to kind of just be right below what would be called out. But that's even the deception of our hearts in that. So when we get to a passage like 1 John chapter 2, where John is encouraging his audience throughout, the people who are receiving this letter, he's encouraging them to live for the Lord, do not love this world, love your fellow brother, love your fellow sister, care for them. When we get into a passage like this, John is pretty... Countercultural for the American. The way that he talks is pretty countercultural for the American. And there are three verses. And these three verses, we're just going to kind of go through each one edit one at a time. We've already seen the passage, three verses, three points. Here's the first one. And this is a warning, a caution, call it what you want. But he basically says this Loving the world present, uh, prevents loving God. That's what he says. Loving the world prevents loving God. So if you just look at the passage, here's the warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So first, understanding the world. The world could be the people in it. Clearly we know we need to love the people in the world, and that's what John says in John 3.16, God so love the world. It could be the created order, the world and everything in it, that could be one, one way that we view the world. He doesn't mean that. Another, another way to use the world here for John, and it is the place where there are forces which are against God. The place where the values do not align with God. Or they're they're antagonistic toward God. And it is that third definition that he means. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's his warning. And he gives a reason. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does that mean? Does that mean God doesn't love me? How well, you could read it, right? One, one way to read it is the love of the Father is not in him. That means God doesn't love you if you love the world. I don't think that's what that means, and most people don't think that's what that means. <clears throat> it means, for example, you have love for your spouse, or you might be able to say love of your spouse, right? Just the, uh, yeah, I, have, I have love of them. I love them. Well, if anybody loves the world, they have a great love of the world, they cannot have a great love... Of the Father. What John is essentially saying here is you can't have one or the other. Now, this is backed up by Jesus, isn't it? When he says, like, no one can serve two masters, you'll either hate one, love the other, be devoted to one, or despise the other. You can't serve God and money. That's just Jesus talking to us. John is essentially repeating that, but he's using the world and a love for God. He's saying that. He's going, if anybody loves this world, if anybody loves this world, you have no ability to love God. If your longing and love and delight is for this world and its systems and its ways and its stuff, you can't love God. And this, we like to argue with. We like to argue with that because we're going, to go, well, you know, I mean, I can sort of, sort of love the world and also sort of love God. I don't think John gives room for that. But Jesus doesn't give room for that either. No one can serve two masters. Hey, hate one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. Like, that's how it works. And so if your longing and your love and your delight is on this world, this world as it is known, and the things that exist within it, you don't love God. It is totally incapacitating to try and do both. You could also flip it though. If anyone loves God, love of the world's not there because your attention and your affection and your energy is for a love of God. So he starts with a warning and it's pretty stark. It's pretty stark because like, oh, but I I enjoy, I enjoy my house or I enjoy taking walks in my neighborhood or I enjoy the vacation I've gone on or I, that's fine. Yeah, I get it. enjoy. I understand that we've said this the past couple of weeks, the world is, do not be fooled, the world is an alluring place. There's a reason the scriptures remind us that we are sojourners, that we are aliens, that we are exiles living in this world. That's a reminder of our identity that we don't live for this world. We live for the world that is to come. We are citizens of heaven. In this earth, on this earth, living for our God, identified with our Savior. And so the way that we should live should reflect the values of the one who has called us, or as we read up here, called us into his marvelous light, right? Who's brought us into this relationship. So our values should align with the one who's called us. Well, doesn't that align also with the passage that we read last week from 2 Timothy? No soldier is concerned about civilian affairs, but his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. This is just a repeat. In fact, you will find, even through like early church literature, you'll find this kind of idea of two ways. You either, you either follow the world or you follow the Lord. There isn't a way in between. You follow the world and you follow the Lord. And as you start to think about that idea, you realize just how much of the scriptures are devoted to encouraging you to follow the Lord. When Jesus says, narrow is the gate, wide is the way that leads to destruction and many enter through it. What is he saying? There's this way and there's that way. When Paul says... Be a good soldier, be a good farmer, be a good athlete. He's going, you can operate this way or you can operate that way. When John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. You love the world, love of the Father is not in you. You can operate here or you can operate there. He is saying it and the scriptures lay it out. You're one or the other. You're one or the other. We try and I wish for your sake and for mine. I wish that I could could make it be like, well, there are some things that you could love. But there aren't. And why? Because John gives the reason in verse 16 why that is. First, he lists the things in the world that he's talking about, which helps us out. The way in which it operates. And then he talks about where it's from. So this helps us. He's going to clarify for us a little bit. And he's going to then tell us the problem with it. So, the reason he gives that things of the world aren't from God. Well, that would make sense. We are called by God, and we belong to God, and we live for God, and then the things of the world that should, as the, as the hymn says, grow strangely dim, we should recognize that they don't belong. They're counterfeit to what we should care for. For all that is in the world. Now, listen to these three things the desires of the flesh. Now, what does he mean by desires of the flesh? Generally, your sinful desires. Your sinful desires, the desires that make you long for self-gratification, you know, pleasing yourself, not others, living for yourself, not others, not concerned about the Lord. <clears throat> the desires of the flesh, they're a part of this world. Your translation might say lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes. That's the next one. The desires of the flesh, the sinful desires that you have. <clears throat> so loving the world means then in this way, Living out your sinful desires. That's one way. Here's the second. The desires of the eyes is the longing to acquire. Desire of the eyes, a longing to acquire. Meaning the, the desire to have things. To get more things. To have more stuff. I was recently even listening to people talk about cars. One guy was like, I just want to get down to... <clears throat> I want to we're a two-car family. We really want us to be a one-car family. The guy next to him was like, try being a four-car family. there's just two of them, right? It's like, it's like just, just stuff and things. And you always know, the pastor after toe the line because everyone's like, well, do I sell my car? Do I sell my house? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like that you're asking the question, though. At least you're thinking about it. But the desire of the flesh, sinful desires, we would all go, no, that's bad. Desire to acquire, though, the, the longing of the eyes, the things that you see and go, oh, I wish I had that that's a little different. That one steps on our toes a little more. We all know sin is bad, right? Sin's bad, you don't do it, yeah, you know, or you don't say you do it. But the desire to get, to attain, to grow your possessions, that's all of us. That's all of us. As much as we try to you know, teach our kids, oh, no, 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 like, you know, just remember these gifts, like, like I remember my Christmases forever, It was just about the stuff. Try and tell me whatever you want about, like, anything spiritual. Sure, that's fine. Did I get the thing I asked for? And that's often ours, too. It's just kind of of permission giving for us to acquire more things. Now, I know, like, you come to our house, we're going to be exchanging gifts. It's all good. You can come over, too, if you want. We'll have cinnamon rolls. But that's a dangerous one for us. And the reason it's a dangerous one, that middle one of the desire of the eyes, is because as you acquire, and you know this is true, as you acquire, your need to maintain the things you acquire only increases. The more stuff you have, the more time you have to spend tending to your stuff. Now you are finite. You only have so much time in a day. And as your life expands, the amount of energy that you have to spend on the things that you have and have acquired increases. Who often gets to the short end of the stick? The Lord. Because you're spending all your time maintaining the things that you have, and fixing the stuff that breaks, and doing this, and doing that. I was talking to a member recently, I was like, "I told you know, <clears throat> we can expand, we can build on, we can add, but everything you add is one more thing that's going to break, and one more thing that has to get mowed, and one more thing that has to get painted, and one more thing that has to get washed, and one more thing that has to get fixed when it breaks, and one more thing that's going to get termites, and like, whatever it might be. As you acquire, the demand for your time increases. Whereas, I'm not saying, you know, this is always the funny part, I'm not saying be minimalist, I'm not saying whatever, like, if you want to live in a hut, go for it, I mean, that's fine. Meaning like, we just have one tiny little bungalow, that's where we are, that's where we live, one bedroom, 15 people, we just all kind of cram in, it's fine, we share a bathroom, like, that's gross, but go for it. If that's you, okay. The danger in talking about these things is we, we, the legalist in us is always looking for the line. And what happens is John draws the line at your heart. He doesn't draw the line at your stuff. And part of us wishes that he would draw, draw the line at our stuff, right? Like, they're like, okay, well, is it, like, is it, is it, how many vehicles are too many vehicles? Or uh, how many square feet, too many square feet? Uh, how much money in the renovation budget is too much money? That's what we want. We're like, just give me a line, Lord. Well, isn't that what a legalist does? I mean, those are the people that Jesus would rail against. Just give me the line, Lord, and I'll be sure not to cross it. And then I'll know I've pleased you. When the line is here, then it's like, well, is this happening because you're desiring to acquire things? Because you love the world? I mean, if the answer is yes, then maybe the answer to your question is zero dollars. None. Because all you're doing is fueling your fleshly desires. And why would you want to do that? So the desire of the flesh, the sinful desires, we know those are bad, bad, meh. The desire of the eyes, the things you see and the things that you want. Well, how did that go for Adam and Eve? When it was seen that the fruit was good, seen. it was okay. And then third, the pride in possessions. Well, because why? When you acquire things, you got to show them off. You don't get stuff just to keep it in a closet. You get stuff to let people know you got it. You get stuff to put it on Facebook and show all your friends. That's why you get stuff. You don't get stuff just to hide it. No way. No how. No never. That's why there are shows built upon showing you people's fancy things. That's why we love it. No one's like, hey, we're going to go ahead and go into this house and we're going to do a huge renovation. And when we move that bus, it's going to be smaller and cruddier than it was when we started. No, no one wants to see that show. We want to see bigger, better, fancier, we need that, we need the people crying, we need the moment, we need to see and then you walk through the house like oh my gosh I want that I want that, I want a bathtub like that, I want this kind of lighting, I want this kind of paint, I want this kind of kid! that's what I want the opposite is never cool it doesn't sell why? because it's not a worldly value diminishing your things caring less about your stuff being sacrificial with your possessions. Giving them away. All of those things are contra, against what the world teaches us and trains us in. Absolutely against. And so John goes, well, let's, let me tell you, just in case you're freaking out, let me tell you what I mean by the, the world and things of the world. Your sinful desires... The desire of your eyes to acquire the things, acquire possessions, acquire more and more and more. And then thirdly, your pride in that. Look at what I have. Look at this. Look at that. Come over and see the new. Your pride in that, which says, these three things are not from the Lord, but they exist in this world. It's not from the Father. Now, later next year, we'll be going through the book of James. James uses a line like this. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, flowing down from the Father of lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. So when we look at verse 16, all of those worldly longings that we often have, And the energy that it takes. It goes, it's not from the Lord. What comes from the Lord? Good and perfect gifts. Not distracting and worldly gifts. Good and perfect. So, verse 15 loving the world keeps you from loving God. Verse 16. Things of the world aren't from God. Let's define what the things of the world are so we can be a little clear here. John helps us out, and makes it clear. Then, verse 17, he just gives the reminder, really in two ways, but he says, Those who do the will of God endure. Verse 17 reads like this And the world, this whole place, is passing away. It's gone. It'll be gone. It will not exist. Next week, we're talking new heaven and new earth. We're going to see that, that God has built, is building, has promised a new heaven and a new earth where we will be with him forever. So John's like, why would you invest your heart and your emotions and your energy and your time and your loves, why would you invest them in something that is passing away? Why would you give that so much of your attention? The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, just go full circle. You go back to verse 15, what's the will of God? It's not to love, in this instance here, not to love this world or the things in this world. We can continue out through 1 John, clearly loving others, meeting the needs of others, being concerned for others is clearly an aspect of those who belong to the Lord. Again, countercultural because the world says take care of you. Meet your needs, put you first. If you're not happy, no one's happy. The world <clears throat> is passing away along with the desires within this world. <clears throat> but whoever does the will of God abides forever. see it next week as well, when we're in Revelation chapter 21. And we see, and I'll just get out of the bag, like the challenge is going to be similar, but our affection and our hope and our anchor as people who belong to the Lord Jesus should be for the world that's to come. And it's a really hard lesson. I was trying with my kids to, like, have this conversation this week, and I was failing at it because I could only speak abstractly. Where I was like, well, if you knew, and I was trying to use all these metaphors about if you knew that, essentially, if you knew that nothing was going to matter that you own today, tomorrow, wouldn't it change how you treated it today? So I was trying to say, but with a 10- and an 8-year-old like that, I'm just like, I just kept missing it. But that's what John is saying here. The world's passing away. So do the things that endure. Do the things that abide. Do the things that last. Be concerned about the Lord and loving others in his name because of the way that he has loved you. But we don't live like that. It's almost as if in Christians I would say myself included are due critique for this mentality. We are. So if you're not here today if you're here today and you're not a believer and you think that Christians are bad at this you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and approve that statement. We are bad at this. It's not, our, it's not the Lord's fault it is ours. The Lord is faithful. He is enduring. He is loving. He is caring. But it's almost as if we're sort of concerned that the things God has promised will come to pass aren't going to happen. So just in case, we want to really soak up what this world has to offer. Right? We want to, we want to kind of, again, just kind of skim right underneath excessive or what other people might call excessive. Just in case we get to the end, we want to be able to kind of like, you know, we sucked out the marrow of life or whatever. Carpe diem, you know, dead poet society, like we did it. when the scriptures are abundantly clear that if you really want to live your best life now if you really want to live in the way that God designed and would long for you to live it is all about the diminishing of self for the sake of others so the Lord might be better seen and known not about the preservation of self it is not about increasing for us preserving our life Preserving our health, preserving our stuff, preserving our accounts to be sure that those are all good because we really know that only people who really know God understand compound interest and appreciating assets and if you don't do those things and you're not really loving God. Why? That's not true. That's not true. There are people who will buy houses in neighborhoods where the prices are going down. For the sake of the people in the neighborhood. It is not a value of this world. They all move in. It's not for, I don't live for this world. I was joking about, uh, some of you, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm about to say, okay. It's always a good preface when the pastor says that. Some of you, and it's kind of a thing, like the camera doorbells. Right? Like, like the ring doorbells. You really like them. You probably already be like, oh man, look, so, somebody was walking their dog in front of our house. You probably already look at your phone since you've been sitting here. Whether or not you have one is neither here nor there for me. Though I did walk up to a house, I was in Fulcher last night, and I was going to visit somebody from a, a former church, a mentor and friend of mine, and I clearly went to the wrong house. And I ring the doorbell, and they have one of those cameras there staring at me. Like, this is supposed to be like a meet-and-greet party. There's one car in front of the house, but it's where the Google Maps told me to go, and I'm a slave to it. So I was like, I look in, I mean, I'm peering into the house. And this is not a, you know, this is a neighborhood that I would have the police call on me if I'm doing this. And so I'm looking into the house trying to go, maybe there's cookies on the table. Like, I can't tell. This is kind of a a cocktail party. But the, the doorbell's already staring at me lighting up because there's been motion I kind of press it and I'm I'm talking to the doorbell like I'm sorry I think I'm at the wrong house I don't even know if anybody's on the other end but now I'm paranoid I have to say it somebody comes to the door I'm like I'm probably at the wrong house aren't I what you know what address is this she's like I don't know okay I think it's down the road so I just drove down the road I found the house but those things are everywhere there's a there's a point here give me a second Like I said, it's really neither here nor there if you have one. They're, they're kind of neat, you know, it's neat to spy on people. <laughs> but I just want to ask this question. First, unrelated to what I'm about to say, they just make us paranoid. I, I think that's weird. But second, what are you trying, I know it's like, oh, I'm just trying to protect my family. I'm like, no, you're not, because usually you're worried about what happens when you're not there. I think sometimes my question is what are you trying to protect and preserve? Why are we trying to be so cautious with our earthly possessions? If we're going to be concerned that somebody's going to steal them or they're going to go away or whatever else, well maybe we shouldn't have them in the first place. the The solution might not be, here's the whole point, the solution might not be fancier security for your house and your possessions, it might be less fancy things. It might be things you're less concerned about breaking and disappearing. My grandpa's advice, I think I've shared here before, the late grandfather on my mom's side had this line he'd use with my mom and the siblings. If it's broke, if it can break, it's not worth having. The whole point being, when the grandkids come over, if it can break, I don't care. Not sure if that was totally true, and I think my brother lost one of his distinguished flying crosses from World War II, but I got the point. He was like, if it can, it can break, if I'm concerned about it being broken, it doesn't matter. That's my fault. So I said to go, what are we trying to protect? And what are we trying to preserve? When the thing that is eternally significant can't be taken. When the thing that matters the most, a forever relationship with the Lord taken from us what are we trying to hold on to what is so important i remember one time i had for a while on our backup hard drive on our computer a note to thieves i said if you take our computer could you leave the hard drive because that's just the backup like you know just unplug it take the computer away that's fine sell it do whatever you need but could you could you leave the the hard drive That would be be helpful. No one ever took either, but they could. So I just leave this, leave you with this. The question for you to answer that I cannot. How do my habits reflect my heart? Because you really are just an expression of the things that you value. The ways that you live, the ways that you operate, the routines that you have, the things that you're concerned about, the attention you give to certain parts of your day and the things in your house and the things in your life and all those things. How do your habits reflect your heart? An audit. To go, what am I showing as most important? What am I saying matters most? Do I live as if the things of earth have grown and are continuing to grow strangely dim? Or do I live as if the things of earth are strangely attractive? And if you could go there, go there, what I mean by that is this. If you could ask other brothers and sisters in your life that same question, how do my habits reflect my heart? What do you see I value? What does my life show you matters most? We don't want to ask that question because somebody might say something we don't want to hear. We can always deceive ourselves. So if you're comfortable enough with the idea, right, the Lord searched me and know me, but use the other people in your faith family to go, this is what I see. This is what I'm seeing. Use that as a way to help to encourage you to think about how to live more for the Lord. And if you, before you feel, you know, like, This was the worst Christmas sermon in the world. Remember how the passage ends. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So often we're looking at these things as if they are salvific. And sometimes you're fooling yourself and you don't know the Lord. You really don't. But remember, for example, in chapter 5 what John says. First, chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And then you go to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. John is not, in his letter, trying to get you to be confused about whether or not you are the Lord's. That's not his aim. He writes it plainly. I'm writing this to you that you might know. How do you know? You either have the son or you don't have the son. If you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. Well, how does that then affect what we read two chapters prior, in chapter two, what we just went through today? It means this. We want our habits and our loves to afflect our Lord. And that when we are longing for this world, we are failing at our ability to love and express and let the world know how good God is. For the world's one. And the world is alluring. And it's shiny, and it wants your attention. The Lord has our heart, might we reflect that over anything else? Because He's ours, we're His forever. Forever. If you left this place and died instantly, how much of what you thought about today? would you have been concerned about? How much of what you worried about would you have actually been worried about? How much did you hold back when you gathered in here because your mind was distracted with something else? Your heart was busy, worried about something else. Remember what John says, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God Focus on forever. Not for now. It is always better. That is how we live. Next week, hope you all come back as we reinforce that idea in the new heaven and the new earth. Look at what it's going to be. If that's really what it is, then that should change everything about how we operate.